Hello everyone, welcome to Marketing Blabs. This podcast is brought to you by Marketing Labs, an expert digital marketing agency based in Nottinghamshire. If you're a business owner or a marketing professional looking for straightforward, non-salesy tips and advice to help grow your business online, then this is the podcast for you. Strap in because we're about to reveal the things that other agencies would rather you didn't know. listeners and welcome to episode number eight of the Marketing Labs podcast. My name is Tom, I'm the creative director here at Marketing Labs and the host of this podcast. Today we've got an episode that is sure to ignite the creative sparks. This is Blab number eight and our focus today is going to be startups. So whether you've recently launched your startup business or you're just mulling over that breakthrough idea while sipping your morning coffee, This episode is going to be an absolute treasure trove for you. Joining me on today's Blab is Matt Janoway, our CEO. How are you doing, Matt? Hi, Tom. Yeah, I'm really good. Yeah, looking forward to today's episode. Ready to go? Absolutely. And it's also nice to have a special guest. Yeah, you've got no Martin Labs clobber on today, though, which is disappointing. I did yesterday. I didn't even think about it this morning, to be honest. Poor effort. We've also got Stephen, who's... (laughs) Been on about one podcast. <laughs> He's back though. No, this is my third. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, right, yeah. okay. It's been a while though, hasn't it? To be fair. Yeah, I like it that way. Yeah, <laughs> spread them out a little bit. <laughs> Stephen is our senior SEO strategist. Again, I always struggle with that one. And also today with us, we've got a very special guest here with us in Annie Gilbert. Annie has helped lots of businesses get started via Google's digital garage and certainly has the experience that is going to help you get cracking with your next big idea or business venture. She's here with us, joining us in our lovely office in Retford. How are you doing today, Annie? I'm doing really good, thank you. The sun is shining, what more do you need? I know, yeah, sunflowers <laughs> everywhere. Oh, I wish there were, Tom, I'm waiting. <laughs> are you excited for joining us on the pod? Very excited. Excellent, I guess we'll get started then. So, on the subject of startups then i think the first thing that people need to think about if you agree is validating that idea of what the business is going to be you can research competitors use social media have you got any anything that you would like to say about validating the idea yeah i think that's a really key point to be honest um now i've trained i think over i've not done an official headcount but thousands for training and mentoring for the google garage over six years And the one thing that I note is the most important is purpose. So they know why they're doing what they're doing, what problem they're solving, and the kind of solution that's going to bring for their Mm. customers. And that is something that any successful person has as well. So having that idea and direction helps everything else to fall into place. Yeah, it's a good point. I think... We see lots of people or let's say potential clients that come to us and they're not quite sure. You'd be surprised at how many businesses even three years down the line still haven't had that validation. It's really interesting as well, isn't it? Because, I mean, we've all had conversations with people who they think they've got an idea and they think this idea is amazing. And I'm not taking anything away from them, but just because their grandma has told them it's amazing 
doesn't necessarily mean that it's validated. Yeah. And I know that sounds a little bit cruel, but you've got to have better insights than just friends and family. You've got to have real validation about your product and, and the problem it solves or the, the purpose. Absolutely. A really good example was something called Kids Trove, which we talk about on the Google Digital Garage. And it's a lady who realized there was no diversity in the dolls and the toys market. And she started to create Afro-Caribbean dolls and games and books. And you can see very clearly what the purpose is there and what the drive behind it is and the mission behind that and why she's going to stick to that in every and every part of a communication. So marketing essentially is communicating. Mm. So knowing the reason why you're communicating is kind of fundamental. I always think obviously it's important to consider the market as well. Like look at what people are offering the service that you're thinking about offering and do lots of research on that whether that's looking at their websites, social media be a good one, how much engagement do they get, looking at different areas like that for validating your idea i think yeah that links in really well actually because if you know that you've got something clear you know that there'll be competitors but most that i'm that i speak to along the way haven't got any idea really of what their competitors are yet Mm. so i think it's more about crystallizing that idea early on and getting that sort of set from the beginning Definitely. There are various ways of testing these ideas to see if the audience is interested. So even before, say, a product is launched or a service is launched, you could try to validate that through, say, social media or a landing page, see if you can gather interest. If you're asking people to submit their email address, for example, on a landing page, if they're interested, if you're actually getting people to submit that, okay, you've got to get people to it. That's where social media probably would come in in that instance, maybe some advertisement. But if they're coming to that landing page and, and... they're interested and they give you the details that in itself is a is a very strong signal for validation that's a good way of of testing absolutely it's similar to say the author world if you get pre-orders you know you're onto something Mm. so it's testing the market in advance um yeah and doing questionnaires you know online surveys easy way to do it as well as looking at what competitors are actually out there and the results that they're bringing in how would you go about it if there aren't any competitors then, Annie, from from a digital garage point of view? If, the, if there aren't any competitors, a bit like the, the dolls, how would you go about it that way? Well, you know there's a market for dolls and you'll know that there's a market that care about the issues that Kids Trove talk about. So those two combined factors are really good recipe for reaching your tribe. So every business has a tribe. And your tribe will be who care about what you're talking about. So what are you doing that makes a difference to this world? And if you weren't here, who would care? So I think the important thing there is seeing the wider market. At least you know what business you're in. You know you're in the toys business, but you're competing, therefore, with people who care about diversity. So then you bring the two together. It's been really specific, isn't it? And if the more mm. specific you can be, we talk about this in search, the more specific you can be, the better and you've got a clearer goal, Mm. it's a recipe for, well, performance, shall we call it? I think if a person, if you use a business idea as a person in the same way, if your focus is clear and you've got one clear goal, you know that you're going to make little steps every day towards that goal, and within 365 days you've climbed a mountain. It's the same in a business. If you know what you're heading towards, it's easier to make the relevant steps along the way. Because otherwise you're just having a pipe dream. 
So that's the difference. The considered steps will happen and nothing will stop you doing it because there's no deadline on purpose. There's no end to purpose. If you care about it, you'll make it happen. I think the passion is important when you're doing a startup. It's no accident as well that um, when you've got a passion for something, you also have consistency. And consistency is just so important in this because another reason that so many startups fail is because they're not entirely committed or they don't necessarily know or understand what they need to be doing to stay consistent. Consistency is so important with these things. But also what I was going to say then, and and we'll probably touch on this a little bit later, but um, it's a good question that Stephen had because occasionally we get approached by people that might say, you know, I've got this really cool product. It's revolutionary. It's new. There's nothing like this. And the product is actually really exciting and really cool. But for them as a business, they're making a mistake by wanting to speak to us about SEO or Google Ads, for example, because their product is so revolutionary that nobody knows it exists. And if nobody knows it exists, search is not the channel for you because there's nothing they can search for other than potentially problems, you know, but but that's more about awareness than than intent-driven, getting intent-driven traffic. So... That's when understanding about the industry, your competitors, the audience, if you know for sure that there's no there's nobody searching for this kind of thing because it is genuinely revolutionary, then there are other ways to market outside of search. So it's about understanding those opportunities, understanding your audience, understanding the product, the, you know how people might consume who you are as a business. Because in that case, social media, for example, will be a much better opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, because... As we know, at the top of the funnel, the very top, it's 80% of our time should be spent on brand awareness. But new businesses obviously think about sales right away. But especially if you've got innovation, if you've got something new, then you're going to have to spend more time on the top activity, which is your social media, which is getting your story out and getting people to know why you're doing what you're doing, which in itself is infectious. Hmm. I guess this leads nicely on. We've talked about audiences and understanding your target audience are there any techniques that you recommend um when you're talking to a startup about how they can understand their audience or or put in let's say personas together of that audience yeah well first of all knowing the business you're in knowing your competitors you'll start to see who follows your competitors but then looking at your insights so whether it's google analytics social insights you know you've got analytics on every social media page but bringing it together and seeing who's engaging most with your brand especially if it's a new stage of the business because the likely goal at that point is brand awareness so engagement and awareness and reach is where you'd want to focus so looking at who's engaging with you, who's also signing up and finding out more about those people, reaching out to them, actually getting some little groups together and doing some qualitative research isn't a bad idea, focus groups, if you want to get into more of the ideas and interests of those people. But there's a lot you can capture now through digital tools as well. Yeah, a lot of people discount the focus sessions or focus groups, as they're called, of getting people in a room talking about a product or a service and getting feedback they jump straight in a lot of people don't they and straight in the deep end they're like i don't know then they've got no direction it's a it's a spiral really from there isn't it yeah because it's getting to the heart of the customer because people buy from emotion so if we actually get to know what triggers them emotionally that will help guide us with how to connect and of course you want to know your customers because they are part of your tribe. So it's good to get to know them periodically anyway. Yeah, that's such an important point as well, by the way, because logic comes in a little bit after emotion. 
when it comes to, to marketing, especially at the awareness stage. So if you're, if you're aligning your brand and your message with something that is triggering them a, a certain emotional feeling, that's going to have such a big impact on, on the performance of your marketing. Definitely. I think this brings us nicely on to what Annie's already sort of talked about is this, the brand and the storytelling of that business then. I see lots of people, especially when it comes to visual identity, they, they don't get it right first time or they don't invest enough time and money into it. I've seen so many businesses fail at that. Um, is there anything that you want to add when it comes to that side of things? Yeah, in, in terms of identity and storytelling of your brand, I think it's really important, again, to reflect on why it matters to you and what those important points are. But the thing is, it's good to adapt as well. So it doesn't have to be that this is your one identity and it stays forever. It's important to be consistent. So when you create an identity, for that identity to be shared everywhere. But if it evolves, it's because you're evolving, your business is evolving, and that's okay too. So it's just don't do it too frequently and consider why it's changing. Because obviously, like all people, we evolve. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, and when it's based on insights as well, if if you're making those changes for the right reasons, because you know it's it, your audience are going to identify with that, that's that's the important part. So s- something that I've thought about for a long time when it comes to storytelling, you can't really nail your storytelling unless you really nail who your audience is. So everything that Annie's just said there is is so important and is is bang on because if you don't know the challenges of your audience, if you don't know how your product should resonate with them, you can't tell that story in the right way. So there's a lot of tips you can do to to maybe get some more insights on that as well. Um, I think one of the reasons why people don't like those kind of sessions or, or don't necessarily do those kind of sessions as much as they, they should, when you might sit down with a focus group and, and try to sort of get information out of them, is probably because one, it's not as exciting it's you know in the digital age everything's all about excitement and short term quick sort of i guess insights and feedback whereas that's the kind of thing that's quite time consuming to organize to plan to get your notes from but it's quite important there are actually some ways of digitizing that though so one of the things you could do is go to a platform like reddit or quora or um you could use google data to see what kind of questions people are asking if you can examine the questions that people are asking your uh, asking about your competitors you're in a position there where you can extract that use it as part of your messaging and even get that content onto your website so you're answering the questions that people are asking about your competitors before they're asking them which it can only be a good thing yeah and i think once you get clear on your story because that's the whole reason that you're in business then the content will follow very easily because if you are your customer, you you know, if you really are an advocate for what you're doing, ask yourself, are you really? Are you an advocate? Are you someone that would buy this product, use it regularly? Do you care about it? Would you shout about it? If that's the case, it's much easier to know what your customers are going to care about. And as much as we do need to do research and look at how much gravitas that has, if our heart is in it and we know what they care about, we'll start creating content which is naturally has an affinity with our audience as well. Nice. Some really interesting stuff there. I think coming back to audiences, and I did mention buyer personas, are there any tips and tricks that you recommend to people in terms of building that persona? 
Yeah, so it's important to be able to visualize and understand who we're talking to when we're creating content. So a buyer persona helps us to do that. So within a buyer persona, we'll be looking at their interests, what they look like, where they live, what gender they are, um, what their age group is, all the basic audience profile that you'd be looking at when you're doing your marketing. But by creating maybe two or three of these and having them as pictures on our desks when we're content creators, for example, it helps us to know that we're talking to Jim, to Susan, to George, and it gives much more flavor to the experience and it makes it more tailored, which is why people feel they're being spoken to directly. Whereas if you're creating content that is just for a generic audience, you don't actually speak to anyone in particular. So it's important to tailor things because we have to create our tribe. And to do that, we need to know who they are, what they look like, what they care about, and that will make us more connected. Because we're just humans connecting with humans. There's nothing really more complicated than that in many ways, once we understand who our audience is. I think the sooner you realize that as well, the the better in terms of those relationships that you build. Most of these relationships digitally as well, by the way, they're, they're not connected in the same way that you would be connected when you're in a room with somebody. You might, you may well never speak to most of these people, but the voice and your message, it needs to resonate with them. Otherwise, you don't get that connection. Something as well, I, I maybe see this mistake quite a lot with personas. So I think personas are so incredibly important. But what tends to happen quite a lot is they get created and then forgotten about or they get created and ne- never readdressed. And over time, you'll start gathering data to uh, almost so you can hone who that audience is. And I think it's actually a really good thing to periodically come back to that persona and adjust it. And you know, ba- based on the conversations you have with people, based on the data, analytics data, social data, engagement data, when you reanalyze that, you should be able to just continually improve who, who that persona is. And you could make it to a more qualitative level as well. So once you've got your data in terms of what's available digitally you can then take it to say questionnaires that you which is also quantitative but you can send that out by your email maybe if you get a thousand responses from that you could invite a certain amount in say six to eight to do a focus group and then you've got the voice and you can put in their voice into those personas and suddenly you really know the people that you're engaging with very intimately there's a great tool by the way for this hubspot have a superb tool for creating personas and it gives you a chart that you can either save as a PDF or print off, and, and it looks great. It's a really nice tool. Yeah, Mel speaks about this quite a lot, doesn't she? Mm. And obviously, being a content writer, it's important. And Mel's got quite a unique job within the businesses. She's got to understand multiple clients mm. and their audiences, not just ours. I know we're talking about startups, and that's their business, but... The point is having that persona at the forefront of your mind when you're creating the content, whether it's your website, whether it's a blog, whether it's a social media post, whatever that might be. If you've got Jeff, I don't know where Jeff came from. Sheffield. <laughs> yeah, Jeff from Sheffield, who's 50 year old and he likes cricket. I'm talking about myself, I'm not 50. <laughs> but my point is if you've got that at the forefront of your mind, then you're going to be talking to Jeff in the right way. Yeah. yeah, and you're going to know his kind of a day in the life of Jeff. Mm. You're going to know where he hangs out, what he does, and roughly when he's going to pick up his information and where from. So that all helps with content serving as well as creation. Mm. And what social channels they hang out at. Because this, this is something I wanted to raise today, actually. Because 
startups when you should always keep an eye out for the handles so you can save them you don't want if you if if your startup works you don't want somebody else stealing a handle on social media however you see it all the time where startups they create accounts on every social platform they spread themselves way too thin they don't focus on the platforms where their audience is which is which is a big mistake you really in my opinion you need to pick one or two where you know your audience is and you need to put effort consistently into those areas first you can expand to the others later you want to be you want to be spending your time where your audience is and um, you see that a lot that's a mistake that happens too regularly you do and also people forget mindset as well as message and platform so people are in different mindsets on different platforms and so it's about capturing what mindset are they on the go are they on the fly are they in creative mode are they in chatting mode what mode are they in so that's important but also don't use the same content therefore across those platforms because if you just continuously rinse repeat then it's not going to be very useful you can repurpose though so you can create say for example infographics for the visual platforms where it's relevant like pinterest might be useful but thinking about those as individual platforms with individual mindsets and purposes of their own Mm. helps you to connect with the audiences on there nice i think that that leads us on nicely to let's say marketing yourself so obviously networking collaborating whether you want to create partnerships and things like that especially early on that can be quite helpful i suppose in a scenario or an environment like google digital garage there's lots of startups there so they're all sort of there to help each other get information from each other what are you doing what am i doing and so on is there anything i know you like networking yourself Annie is there anything that you want to add on that on that side of things yeah I think because we're in this digital world we all too often forget that there are people behind those screens Mm. so having that human connection there's a lot more energy there there's a lot more relationships that can be built and you always want to combine the two never leave it to just one channel you never want to avoid digital because we are a digital world and if covid hasn't proven that what what can but we do want to keep those relationships growing and going to these networking events gives that opportunity for you to reach complementary businesses not competing ones that complement what you're doing Okay, if you're in the same business, you might feel that you're vying for the same audience. But if you're doing something slightly different, but in the same business, then you can support one another through it. And that's a really good win in terms of developing networks. Yeah, networking's an interesting one. I used to go networking all the time, but I'm completely opposite now. I don't know whether that's an impact of COVID or whatever, but I found that you create those relationships early and I still have those relationships now and they, sta- they, they stay a lot longer. It's, um, it's interesting. I think, again, it's knowing your audience. So if you're going exactly to the right places and you're having the same passions and interests, then you're going to naturally create those formative relationships that lead to something at the end of it. You can't force relationships in a generic sense. And that's what often happens in more of the exhibitions, the larger events where everybody seems to go, but they're not sure really why they're there apart from to sell and people don't want to be sold to no yeah i don't like walking around them exhibitions and just saying i don't like networking i, stop. I, I just I'm nick terrible. a load of pens you like the cake <laughs> and the cake and the cookies and the bags and the, the bags i think with the digital garage though it's like an incubator for startups yeah so it's a really nice place to get people that are on the same journey at the same stage definitely so there's a lot of good relationships built out of the digital garage that we've seen develop so that's nice absolutely yeah 
As just just on that point as well, I think because they're all it's similar to creating that uh, like a a buyer persona and an audience, isn't it? Because actually, what you're doing by creating that buyer persona is you're ali- aligning your product, your brand with with an audience um, instead of the other way around. But actually, what's interesting about what you were just saying there, Annie, is everybody that's there, they're all at the same phase of their journey. So actually, they've got so much in common that aligns which is a much better way of building a relationship because you, you, you've already got something in common. Whereas when you go specifically to exhibitions or networking events, you don't have the same synergy because everybody is there to want to sell you something. Yeah. Once you remove that from the process, all of a sudden networking becomes quite a lot easier. I think there's a room now for micro networking, for networking around specific themes and topics. And I think there might be a growth in that area because going on networks with BT that I've been doing it makes me see that people like the outdoors they like to work remotely or or whatever and for example the remote workers might join that group so you start to find these little micro communities that have connections for other reasons and that builds and breeds much better partnerships communities are, are so important aren't they because marketing is it can be expensive not only can it be expensive, but you've also got to be incredibly confident and not fragile that it's going to work, which is always a challenge anyway. You can never guarantee marketing. It's, it's not one of those things that you can guarantee will work. So as a startup, it's very difficult to invest in in marketing, whereas there are a few, I guess, processes that you can do for either completely for free or very cheap. And networking if done the right way is certainly one of them as it is partnerships as is social media and as is building a personal brand which is something that I think every founder really needs to do yes absolutely it's the voice behind the page isn't it and interestingly what you're saying there so in nearly everybody I've met at all these events at Google Digital Garage which is thousands now they all have a sigh of relief when they realize they don't have to get it perfect because the idea isn't about we know all the answers, it's about iteration. It's we test this, we know the recipe, and then we repeat the cooking every single time. And if it doesn't work, we don't do that recipe again. We know the ingredients for what does and doesn't work. And it's trial and error. So, you know, that is something we've got to be brave and try and do. Because otherwise, we don't know how close we are until we give it a go. Experience, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's, ultimately it's experience you know if I'll use a football analogy here that Annie probably won't like but you know if you're a if you're a football manager and all you get is success if you've never taken a team through a relegation battle you're not experiencing it and it's a very similar thing really because it, you get so many different challenges in business some of them are good some of them are, are difficult you know some of them you you will love some of them you'll hate but unless you go through them you don't necessarily really know how to deal with them. So the more you get yourself in those situations and the more you test and the more you learn and the more you figure things out, the better you get at it. Absolutely. And it's a bit like the Dunning-Kruger effect where you think, oh, I know it all because I've got no experience. So you're right at the top of that curvature. But then you realise, actually, someone knows a bit more than I do. Oh, they know a lot more than I do. Your confidence drops and your confidence goes down as actually your experience goes up. So it's not aligned. But what's very interesting is it takes, on average, businesses seven times of failing before they succeed. So they can have seven different businesses before they become a success. So even if your first go doesn't seem to be working out, 
then it's about knowing when to exit and start again with something new or trying to be flexible with where you're going. Yeah, the, the failure rate in startup businesses is quite astronomical, really, when you look at it, when you break it down to, to figures. I don't know the figures off the top of my head, but I think it's something like, I don't know, 80% of startups fail in the first two years. It's... Um, do you know what? This is going to sound brutal, and, and I don't mean it to because I genuinely wish everybody all the success that they can get, but it doesn't surprise me because they don't, they don't take care and understand these fundamentals that we're talking about now. They make the same mistake that most of the others have made and failed, and actually a lot of it's quite simple, it, but, it, but you know, they'll, they'll work extremely hard doing the wrong things. Whereas actually you can make your life an awful lot easier by doing the right things. Absolutely. And I think what you find is they're trying to look big in certain ways, but not putting in in the most important ways, Mm. you know, and that's what you often find. And that's understandable when you're starting out because you're inexperienced and you think that's what people want. But actually people just want your story. They want your opinion and everybody has their own uniqueness. And that's where you're distinctive. And that's what makes you stand out. I'm going to throw a spanner in the works now as well because I actually think you'd have better success as a startup if you embrace it. And what I mean by that is people buy into being early adopters of things. And you imagine being, say, a startup e-commerce business, for example, and you receive an order. If that order comes with a note from the founder of the business saying, you know, I really appreciate this. We're a small business we're working extremely hard. We think we've got a great product. And I just want you to know just really how much we appreciate your order. That is a lot stronger than somebody thinking, well, they're a team of, let's say, 10, 20, 30 people. I'm just a number to them. Oh, absolutely. It's like we've never been so connected yet so alone. Yeah. And COVID has given us Zoom fatigue. So the idea that somebody cares... I mean, the best businesses have been the ones that have delivered great customer service, the ones that are really putting their customer first and actually know why it matters. Mm. So there's lots we've talked about there in terms of the journey of a startup, validating the idea, audiences, identity, storytelling, etc. But I think a big one to sort of talk about now and, and potentially finish on is the website. If they're considering starting a website, I I always like to say that it all starts with a good website and the foundations of that. Is there anything specifically in the garage that you discuss when people are at that stage of creating their website? Yeah, so when I talk about websites with the startups and the people at the digital garage, a lot of them haven't yet got websites. They've got an idea, but they haven't got a website. Some may have wireframes if they're a little bit more advanced and some may have websites, but they're not yet working very well for them so the things that we tend to talk about is what makes a good website for a startup and one of the things is accessibility so are they able to add their own content feel in control of their website because oftentimes what they're feeling is a lack of control Mm -hmm. and this is what they're showcasing to the world it's their home it's their store it's their business it's their literal entire business in a digital format for so many people So we talk about the layout, what's important in terms of where the call to action buttons should be. And we talk about what the value proposition should be within the website, because often they don't know 
what they're serving, who they're serving, why they're serving and, and what they're serving, basically. Yeah. So those key points we discuss. And then in terms of actual the CMS, the systems that they use, I try and point them, as I say, to something like WordPress that would be more comfortable. But quite often they use Wix or Shopify, and that's because it's a click and build. They think it's easy to make. But the downside of that is it's not actually telling the story of their business very well. Now, they don't need to go big scale and get a bespoke, beautifully full made business at day one but they don't want to give a bad impression of their business so they want to get the key fundamentals down so it's important perhaps to talk to somebody who knows about that and get some clarity around the key messaging the key layout and the key visuals and the way to use it when they've got it for themselves yeah it's it's really interesting a little little plug there we actually did a a podcast episode specifically on website fundamentals i think it was blab number six I think so go have have a listen to that if you want a bit more information in terms of what those fundamentals are a big point that you mentioned was content I think obviously content is king it can help kickstart these guys all 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 explain how that sort of kickstarts into the the SEO journeys if if you want to call it that and and even just the simple things like ease of use navigation you know if it's not clear what that business is there to do the value proposition if it's not clear how to use it then people will just go but the speed as well they've got to land and be able to use it right away because if not you know people don't have that what it's eight seconds that they've got in terms mm. of t- attention spans, mm, yeah. if you're lucky. So with that short level of attention span, you've really got to capture your market. It's getting shorter as well, isn't it? The, shorter and shorter, the, yeah. The faster everybody's websites are getting, people are being left behind. Yeah, it's and a massive Social thing. as well, it causes, you know, the fatigue is such a big thing and, and you know, there's no... It's no coincidence that even YouTube have introduced YouTube shorts now. People, their attention span is so, so small. So you've got to make sure you capture them really quickly. Well, we've outsourced our brains, haven't we, to the internet in many Mm. ways. And it's very useful for us to be able to be the oracle on anything. We can even ask a machine to tell us the answer rather than even type. So it does get to the point where we need to be able to communicate very quickly our message and know what that message is. Definitely. I think... um, I'm going to talk about SEO. SEO is a a massive topic that I don't understand to the level that these guys do. But would you say that the the quickest win that new startup businesses can do to kickstart their SEO content journey would be to write blogs? Um, there's the, a few things. The isn't word there? "quick"s a bit. Yeah, probably not a word. It's a long game. (laughs) It's a long game. There's maybe a few things to consider as well. So, what the first thing I would do, knowing what I've learned now over the past twenty twenty odd years, the first thing I would do if I was a startup is I'd analyze competitor websites. You don't see SEO can be complicated in the sense that if you really wanted to do deep keyword research and start understanding about intent and you know conversion rates of particular keywords, things like that. You're going to have a difficult time doing that unless you understand it. However, what you're not going to have a difficult time doing is going to your competitors' websites, taking a note of the pages on their website and trying to spot the kind of keywords that they're targeting, doing a Google search, search for those keywords, check whether you think that aligns with your product, your service, have a look at the the search results. And if it does, straight away you've got to focus for each page. So that's where I'd start to make sure that you're you're focusing on keywords that, okay, you don't necessarily understand 
the value of those yet or, or you know how many people are searching for them and, and things like that but what you are doing is you're sort of piggybacking on the work that competitors have already done now you can use that as part of your content as part of your page structure but also blogs yeah so blogs blogging is an area that i think is often misunderstood businesses i know we've covered this in earlier podcasts but just let's touch on it now because it is quite important for startups they will get given advice quite frequently that they should blog, for example. Now, what that means is going to be different to everybody. But what it means to a startup is, okay, well, every week I need to write something or every two weeks or every month or whatever it might be. The problem is what they naturally write about always comes back to themselves or why they're so good or why their product is so good instead of the problems that their potential customers face. And that's a big difference because all you're doing is shouting about yourself instead of helping people. However, if you start writing blogs about how you help people and the, the uh, challenges that your product or service helps solve, that's, that is a very good thing to do from an SEO perspective. It's also worth mentioning to when it comes to competitors, don't just look at the people that you consider competitors because they might not be doing everything right or, or anything right. Whereas if you search Google for the terms that your products or services relate to, they're the competitors that are doing it right. They're the competitors that Google consider as competitors. And obviously, if they're ranking one, two and three, you know, they're doing something right. In the SEO world, it's interesting because you can have lots of conversations with any business. And more often than not, who they consider their competitors aren't always necessarily who an SEO would consider their competitors. So if you're searching for a keyword... Your competitors from an SEO perspective are the people ranking high for that keyword. Now, they may or may not be who you would consider your traditional competitors. But that also, that's another way of gaining insights into keywords. So if you put into Google, you know, whatever your product might be, that you can describe it the best way you can. Google will also give you suggestions. You know, did you mean X? Or you might also like X. People also searched for X. If you use those as well, that's that's good data to start implementing into your content. Definitely. I think there's been some interesting topics that we've talked about there. There's lots for loads of stuff for startups to consider. I think the point that you made, Annie, with regards to UX and understanding that journey that the user might take on the website is important. Ultimately, there's lots to consider from an SEO perspective as well. And I think this pod has been enjoyable. It has. Have you enjoyed it? It's always fun at Marketing Live. <laughs> <laughs> always. Never a dull moment here, is no, there? No, no. And it's great to have Annie back, yeah. special friend of uh, Marketing Labs. Thank yeah, you for joining you for us. Me. We hope you can come and join us again Yeah, at some point. Nice. And we'll finish there. Thanks Cheers, Stephen. Now. I've enjoyed sitting here on the sidelines just <laughs> listening in and, uh, and learning from Annie. It's, it's yeah. been nice. Very enjoyable having you on, Annie. Thank you very much. We hope you've all enjoyed listening. And we'll see you next time. Well... That wraps up another Marketing Blabs episode. Thank you very much for listening. We've left no stone unturned in this episode from the validation of your entrepreneurial idea to the art of telling your brand's story, right the way through to website basics, SEO and networking. We hope that everything we've discussed in this episode will help set your startup on the right path to success. Remember, every big venture starts with a simple idea and with the right strategy, you can make that idea a reality. So until next time, keep that creativity flowing and let the world know about your incredible ideas. I'm Tom, signing off until next time. See ya.